Hi, Jeff, and uh, welcome to episode seven, I want to say. Is this seven? I think so, yes. Maybe it's seven. We're losing track. Jeff's been doing a lot of reporting. It's sort of October, and yeah, everybody's <laughs> yep. got lots of stuff on the go. Yeah, more than five, less than ten. <laughs> more than five, less than ten. We're somewhere in there. Uh, I'm Alex Van Tal. Thank you, uh, everybody who's watching. Um, I am sitting here today with Jeff Hopkins, who is the principal educator at the Pacific School of Innovation and Inquiry in Victoria, BC. And this, of course, is um, the next installment in sort of peeling our way through and exploring uh, some, of the, some of the really central tenets to the model that you run your school on, Jeff. So we call them um, convictions. You, uh, you've sort of taken your big idea and pulled it apart into 20 things that really, really uh, are the convictions that drive the way you have structured this school. Um, and yeah, and so today we get to go deep. We've already done one today. We're doing a, we're doing a double header back to back today. Um, but today we're going to talk about competency-based education. So, um, and now, just before we get rolling with the conversation, I, I want to remind people that they can, especially for today, actually, they can find this information on the SCI website, uh, which is www.learningstorm.org. Uh, and in a little while, you're going to be showing a, a, a graphic that people can go right to the website and pull it up and have a closer look, download it, print it off. Yep. Use, use it. it. <laughs> yeah, please, please, please take our stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, um, yeah, well, and I should say that this podcast, we're calling it School of Thought. So, uh, and it, it's a fitting name. So today we're going to go deep in Jeff Hopkins's School of Thought around competency-based education. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jeff, what is the, what's the competency we're talking about today? Well, um, we're going to talk about competencies generally, but um, maybe this is probably a buzzword people have heard a lot lately in education. There's lots of books about it in the last few years. Um, some whole places, including the BC province, has decided to say that they have based their curriculum on competency competencies. They sort of have referenced competencies, but not to the degree that... Um, you could really say that it's a competency-based curriculum, I don't think, um, but it's a good start. Um, we, we just take it really seriously here. And so for our school, we believe that competency, uh, core competencies or whatever you want to call them, um, a small number of fairly big pockets for uh, skill and competency development could, could define the whole curriculum. You could, you could focus on that and that could be it. Um, if you did it well. And those need some context to kind of go with them or else, you know, it's hard to learn a skill in a vacuum. There has to be some, some application or thing to hang that skill or competency on. But we think uh, with context and competencies, you can get pretty far. Okay, so I got a couple questions there. Yeah, so, so you've just sort of re-articulated what you've written here, that competency-based education is valuable when paired with context. So I'm going to ask you lots of questions about that context piece. But Tell us first, like, what, what is a competency? When we're talking about that, what, 
what are we meaning? Well, um, there, if you, there's been a few good, good pieces of writing on this and every, every jurisdiction has kind of developed their own set, but they pretty much all say the same thing. Um, it's really about how many things do you combine and how many things do you pull apart? But an example of a competency, um, might be something like mathematical literacy is, is one of our competencies, for example. So rather than saying, what's your mark in math class or how well did you do the math problems that I gave you? It is, what is your actual competency, proficiency, comfort with ability to mess around in and apply to other things with math, uh, mathematical thinking. And so um, a competency is like a set of skills, a set of you know, comfort, proficiency, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, th those kinds of words, those kinds of ideas. Okay, and then the competency framework that um, SAI uses, that your school uses, yeah. are those the same basic competencies that we see reflected in the British Columbia curriculum? No. <laughs> and <laughs> I know, that's a pretty easy answer. Um, to some degree, I mean, they're not, they're not um, incompatible, just the BC curriculum has um, combined a lot of them. They've got a very small number of competencies and we just have slightly more because we've kind of kept them separate. And we do have a couple of competencies in there that BC does not have. <clears throat> um, that came from research of competency-based education, research that was going on all over the world for about the last 10 years. One of the main sources for the ones we arrived at were based on a, there's a book by uh, Darnett um, Faber is the last name, and I forgot the other name. I think it's Faber and Castell. I'll check that out and I'll put the reference to it on the- Like Faber and Castell as in the people that make the colorful things? Yeah, it's wrong. Make that up. Yeah. I'm like right. Faber Castell, that's, that's what they do. Yeah, I was be thinking about something else. Um, Faber and something, but I'll, I'll put it up. But anyway, the, the book is called, um, uh, it is about core competencies and it's, it's about, um, you know, competencies that our world needs people to have right now. And I'll put the type on everything in the, in the description, but um, it's, uh, they have done a lot of research of like what have different jurisdictions identified as their mm -hmm. core competencies and where are they the same and where are they different? And so that kind of was the best bibliography to just kind of look all over the world and see what people were using. Um, Singapore has adopted a competency-based model, um, New Zealand, Australia, lots of places. And then BC kind of did. <laughs> um, BC mentions them, but they're they're a bit of an afterthought. So we still have a course-based curriculum with some tags of competencies or references to competencies within them, I guess you'd say. Okay, so then are you saying that there are other education systems around the world that are using a competency-based approach? Yes. We are we are saying that we are here, however, we haven't quite structured it that way. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And and it's, so, it's a little bit of, it's a bit of a risk because you're straying from a paradigm in education that we've had for a while for, you know, about 130, 140 years. Um, we're tipping it sideways, actually. So instead of saying, you know, these are the courses and these are the skills you're going to learn within them, we kind of tipped it on its side and said, these are competencies and they may have courses that you could use as context to learn them, but it's turned like 90 degrees, basically. So why did you decide to build the competency framework? What was your thinking there? A couple of things. One was, first of all, to see, am I fooling myself? Is this actually possible to kind of teach what you'd sort of think you need to be able to teach in a high school using a competency kind of lens? So part of it was just, could I articulate this? Is this actually possible? 
Um, another part of it was was saying if I pasted the uh, the curriculum that we have onto this, could I find a landing place for everything that exists in this sort of outcome-based curriculum in this new competency-based curriculum? Could I actually, would I be leaving anything behind? Would I be missing anything? Would there be something that people just dearly, dearly, dearly must include that they couldn't? And what we found is the opposite, which is there's things that people desperately want to include in the curriculum that in, in the way most curriculums are written, unless it's explicitly stated, you have to think of a way to kind of stuff it in there. Um, this one allows you to be very uh, up to date because um, context is everything. And so you can find a way to access a competency in any context. And we've sort of, we've taken a, uh, an approach also where we've kind of categorized what some of those contexts or objectives look like so that there's a bit of a framework to follow or, and it's not so much follow as sort of, um, map. So when you are doing something, you would look at this framework and say, oh, that's what I did. <laughs> As opposed to how do I do this? How do I make this combination work? So, yeah. So now the, the, um, one of the things that you've written here when you were breaking down this, this conviction, and I want to maybe some examples about what, what, what you mean when you were writing this, you write competency-based education is not a new concept. Some of the criticisms of competency-based education include the notion that high-level decontextualized competencies are too general and that real learning requires focus on something of more substance. Agree? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so can, do you have an example of when you would say a competency is too high-level and irrelevant, yeah. decontextualized? Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you an example that comes up a lot. Um, we have one competency that we call um, critical and creative thinking. Some places divide those up. We decided to put them together because we thought that there's kind of a bit of a gray line between where one starts and the other begins. And so we just decided to put them together because we couldn't figure out how to draw a line between them. <laughs> so we thought, put them together. Um, but critical thinking or creative thinking often is one that people talk about to say when you decontextualize that, and you're not applying that critical thinking to a subject, um, it's just too decontextualized. It's just too out there. Um, like critical thinking about what? Um, so there's all kinds of things that are decontextualized, almost like, um, you know, like logic puzzles and uh, things like that, that are, that are pure critical thinking, but they don't really have a lot of value because they're not attached to anything or, or they're hard to see how they would be attached to something that, you know, might be applicable to your life or, or, you know, moving ahead in your career or anything like that. So um, that's a, that's a, an example. And so until you apply a context to critical thinking um, or help somebody see that there's a critical thinking component in what they're doing um, or creative thinking, um, it, it could be not very useful just by itself, just a standalone thing. For example, I hate to see a class that's called critical thinking, and then you just, do critical thinking um, all the time. I mean, I think you, you, you'd immediately start to need to pull in context. And so it's like, well, why not just do that all the time then? So, and then when you talk about context, you at SAI, you and your teachers are continually looking for ways to connect the competencies to real world things. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and real world things, or, or at least, 
some kind of context or objective that organizes that thinking a bit or or um, gives it some substance I guess would be the way to would be the way to put it okay so um, I'm thinking that now is probably a good time to have a look at the competency framework yeah let's pop it up there um, yeah so there we go there it is there we go yeah yeah um, so this was created um, quite a long time ago now um, I guess like seven years ago um, but uh, it, it is something that this one we call it um, proposed sci graduation framework and the reason it's called that is because it is what we are proposing to uh, well the BC government about this could be it as far as how you you sort of map someone through high school or all school levels if you wanted to but how you would kind of track somebody through high school rather than saying these courses x number of credits in these courses these objectives or these outcomes inside these courses we're saying you don't actually have to do that in fact what gets lost as soon as you just like as soon as you print a textbook or as soon as you publish a curriculum something in it is out of date immediately as the ink is drying so we thought why not have a curriculum where you don't have to worry about that it's flexible in the sense that you could take anything that's happening right now and apply it you don't we were looking at a at a piece of uh, or a textbook today that came out three years ago and it talks about um cd roms and um uh portable cd players and dvds and all this and some of the kids are like what is that what is that um, and it was you know it came out three years ago but it was probably written five years ago and it just it's just out of date and so we try we're trying to get away from that and stick to some sort of higher level things that can be contextualized in whatever way makes sense today well, that's cool. Um, and I think we're not going to see any change on that front, right? I mean, if anything, uh, the pace of knowledge accumulation uh, it is accelerating. So like you say, especially in the education space, anything that is published um, and not able to be updated is going to kind of go stale. But I yeah. want to ask you, okay, so a question I had while you were talking about um, you know, embedding these competencies in a, in a context where, um, you know, it's, it's a rich context for, for exploring the competency. Do teachers, like I could see a lot of teachers looking at something like this and, and getting nervous because suddenly the, the road, the, the, the runway lights aren't there, right? And we take the objectives as our runway lights and we know yeah. we're on the runway as long as we're taking off the objectives. So what do you say to, to educators who, who are freaking out without that list of outcomes? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I have two things that I would say, and one of them sort of maybe more polite than another one. Uh, one of them is um, if you need those runway lights, you probably shouldn't be teaching. That's the not very nice thing. Okay, that's Jeff I, throwing down the gauntlet, folks. <laughs> I, actually, I actually have a huge problem with that because somebody sat in a room and made up those runway lights. And yeah. then you follow them. So who is the person who sat in the room? Who are they? Um, they were teachers. <laughs> they sat together as a group and they said, what's important? And they decided. Um, interestingly, I find that teachers will either say, I'm going to follow those runway lights until I find something that I go, hey, there's a runway light that is missing. And then they get all bent out of shape about it. And then they introduce it themselves somehow anyway, kind of like the kind of the covert uh, curriculum that they kind of insert themselves. They're like, well, if you're going to do that anyway, 
then just do that. <laughs> if, you, if you think you know what is important and you think you have a set of runway lights in mind, use them. That's no problem. You probably know what they are, especially in BC where people are very qualified by the, by the time they become a teacher, they've done a lot of work. Um, I don't think anybody knows your subject matter better probably than you do and how to teach probably than you do. So give yourself a chance, give yourself some credit. Um, don't wait for a book to come from, you know, from people who work in an office building and invited some of you in one day to write a curriculum to say that you don't, to, to give you a curriculum. You've got one, you've got one. Um, how, okay, so what would you say to teachers and parents? I imagine you get this question from parents a lot. Maybe you even get this question more from parents than from teachers, but how do you, how can you be sure that you have explored a competency thoroughly enough with a learner to know that she's got it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. It's a hard question well, to ask, yeah. It is, and, and so there's a couple of things I do, and I always get asked this question, and who I usually get asked this question by are, is student teachers, people who are teacher candidates in university. And I will be asked this question next week when we have 100 people um, virtually touring the school with our 3D camera thing that they walked through with the other day, which was really disconcerting, and then asking me a bunch of questions. And this will be asked. This will be in the top three questions, I, I guarantee you, the first three. Um, and I always say, Okay, so in the outcome-based model, how do you know? Um, and the answer would be because I can test. It, it will, and I said, so what are you testing? And how do you how do you know your test is testing that? And then they go, oh, and then they realize that what they have to do is construct a test that tells them that someone has a level of competency or depth that shows them that they understand the concept at that depth. Right? Yeah, we do the same thing. <laughs> so they're like, oh. <laughs> so and rather than having the rather than having the learners take a test, the learners simply walk, you know, show you the learning that they are doing as they do it. That's true. So in, because we don't have every, we don't have like thirty people doing exactly the same outcomes all at the same time as you would in a traditional school, we um, we will have, might have one person who's studying something in depth in it, and that topic or line of inquiry incorporates a number of competencies and contexts. They comment on that in their port learning portfolio as they go, which is a reflection of their learning, a place to park learning artifacts, and also a place to tag those reflections and artifacts with these competency labels and context labels. So as a teacher, we go through them. And um, the part of that I won't show you here, the other part of our, our assessment um, framework is this plus looking at um, what level of depth did you get to where, let's say, you know, uh, significant events and figures in history and cultural awareness and understanding collided and you tagged something with those two things. So at that intersection point, you did something. Um, what level of depth did you get to? And we'll look at something like a Bloom's taxonomy kind of a thing and say, oh, we see that you got to the level of, you know, application synthesis evaluation with that. Looks like you did a pretty, you got pretty deep. Um, I will ask, we, I deconstruct tests with teachers. I, I, I'm a test construction expert actually. So I will tell, I will reverse engineer a test and we'll say, let's take your test and see what you're testing. And usually it's crap to be yeah. quite honest with you. And they're almost never testing very much beyond the comprehension level, yeah. sometimes application, but not that often. And so um, I would say, wow, I don't know how you know then how your learners are doing. I know how mine are doing. I can show you, I could open it right now and show you exactly how I know. Um, 
and, I, and my language back to them because the learners also know. So instead of the learner getting eight out of 10 on the quiz on October 10th, they're getting rich descriptive feedback on what they have identified as evidence of meeting a competency at a certain depth in a certain way with a certain context. And we give them very specific feedback about the degree to which we think they've done that and why. So they know what they've learned and how much they've learned it. And we know why we can justify it. So the learners are using this, this framework. They're just as familiar with it as the teachers are then. They are. We actually, so we have this available to them on their learner portal on the website, but we also have, um, we have photocopies of it laminated and spiral bound all over the school. So when it's time for an assessment meeting, we grab one of those and sit down with them and use this. When they, when they are writing in their portfolio, they will grab one of these, open it up and use these tags to kind of, it, the, the tags are all there in the background of the portfolio, but they like to, this is easy to see. So they just look at this and go, oh yeah, right. Oh yeah, it's that. And they, and they, they get better and better at it as they go. And, and pretty soon they don't need this much, but they, this is a really good tool for them to kind of think about what they've been, like, what was the point of what you were doing? So side question here. Yeah. This is just for fun. Have you ever had a learner who's actually filled in all these blocks? We had one learner. She is here right now still in grade 12. And her goal is to not only fill in every block, but to fill in every block at the deepest level of learning possible. So she wants to get to kind of that synthesis evaluation, higher level learning thing in every single intersection point on here. And I think there's 88 or 96 or something uh, squares and she's going to do them all. Um, I think she has done them all. <laughs> I'm hiring her into my company. Oh, I know, but it's very interesting because we don't kind of intend people to use this as like, it's not a bingo card or, you know, you're not supposed to fill in all the squares. Um, it's more like a, where have I been spending my time? And um, one of the things that I, I have in this same uh, thinking that this, that this comes from was um, this could be three dimensional. And if you kind of think about, if you thought about the more times you kind of hit an intersection point here on this grid, it got deeper, like it kind of stacked up. Um, you end up with a profile and we had one grad who said, wouldn't it be cool if your graduation transcript was a 3D printed um, like oh, yeah. topography of your learning and you could look at it and it would probably be different from everybody else's, yeah. but you could instantly show somebody and what we have one of our kids uh, who just graduated and went into en and just finished engineering and just got a job like the day after he graduated from engineering. Um, he used this to describe himself to the employer. Um, so awesome. he actually talked about this framework and said, here's where I spend a lot of time where this and this meet this, this context and this competency meet. And here's some examples of that in my portfolio. Um, and they just continue to do this all the way through university. I could absolutely like, so one of the interesting things that I've been doing, I think I showed you the book I was reading last week, which I'm still reading <laughs> on systems theory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with the idea of sort of taking a look at how organizations structure themselves, um, you know, flat orgs, uh, hierarchical orgs, and this new sort of organization where people are collecting and organizing themselves and orienting themselves to the work based on lawyer like that who's moving into that space of onboarding people with the question of what do you like and what are you thrilled about 
this would be a really interesting um, tool in that in that uh, employment process. And I love the idea of having it be a 3D representation. Do you think that that'll actually be a thing? Well, I think, I mean, it's very easy to do. And when I made this presentation to the ministry, it was quite funny, the reactions, I, I, we can only imagine, but um, I, I um, brought in a printed model. I did one on, on, I mapped one on Excel. So I did a 3D graph to show them that you could do it digitally if you didn't want to make a physical thing. And I also made one in Minecraft and I showed them oh. what it would look like. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, there were people that were looking at me like, why did you let this mad person into, into this meeting? And then other people that were like, that would be amazing. And then, and nothing in between, like, <laughs> it was great. It was really, really funny. I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's okay. Tell me a little bit about, did you have other sort of schema that you built this on or did you just create this through the, through the work that you had been doing with, with learners at SAI? This one, this one we just created. Uh, so this was, this was our creation. So, um, that's all like, it's not really based on anything else that we could find. Although after we did it, we found that um, the OECD, um, they do a lot of work in education because they feel that education is kind of the thing that you need for a, any civilization to have a, a healthy civilization and a healthy economy. Yes. Um, but they have something like this that they've created for a couple of um, competencies actually. And one of them is mathematical literacy. So they, they have something like this. It's like a, almost a zoomed in version of this just for math and they'll say, what would those contexts and objectives be in math and what depth could, how could you measure the depth in that literacy? So they've done something kind of like this, but just for one very specific literacy. So um, wow. anyway, it's, it's interesting. And, but no, this, this really is a paradigm change. And so it kind of, it kind of blows people away a little bit. The only, the, the only thing that I have to say that I referenced for this was those campground maps where you look up all the campgrounds in BC and it says, do they have yeah. swimming? Do they have fishing? Do they have, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's what this is. It's exactly the same thing. <laughs> just, just oh. like design wise. So, okay. Before we, um, before you take this off the screen, what do you want to draw our attention to here? Anything? Well, I think I would just maybe say that across the top are the competencies and those are the eight core competencies that we use. Um, they're, they're the, you know, ecological literacy, reading, speak, all those ones. Um, in those competencies, I think I would just say that, you know, watch for assumptions because some word we have, as you know, in English words have connotations and it may not be exactly what the word means. Ecological literacy is the one I'm thinking of right now where, um, that doesn't necessarily mean just environmental ecology, although it obviously includes that, but it's really about closed systems with interrelated elements and how changing one element in a closed system affects all the other elements and in what way. So um, that's what What's ecological is. What's that? Like what, um, what would you say? Well, a really good example today, we were working with a, a learner who changed their coding, they're coding a game, they're making their own video game. And they, we were, they wanted to put real physics in it. So I was like, okay, cool. So we're going in and we're messing with the physics engine. We're putting in real physics formulas for gravity and collisions and all this kind of stuff. But when they did that, um, because a whole bunch of other things were referencing um, 
what, what they had to do is they had to get, create a mass for all of their objects so that you could have like momentum and all that kind of stuff. And when they did that, they found out that it messed up a whole bunch of other things because the mass of one particular object that really wasn't supposed to have mass because of the way they programmed it, it just ruined the game. It was completely not playable, incomprehensible, looked terrible, like it instantly changed everything. So they just realized that any element that you change in that where things are referencing other things and those things are referencing other things, you have to think about all the interconnections. Um, so that was one just very simple example, but that, that's one. But that's huge learning, right? I mean, that that tags to the web of life and uh, like actual ecosystems. It tags to what we put into our bodies, it, you know? Everything, yeah. And it's analogous to that too. So that, you know, that learner may have applied that to a video game, but they, in their brain, brains are good at analogies and they'll say, oh, that's like a lot of other things where one thing affects something else inadvertently. And you better start, you better think when you make a decision like, are there any unintended consequences here if it's there's some closed system elements here? Interesting. Yeah. Now, um, what about on the objective axis? Yeah, on the objective axis, um, this was hard. And I think, to be honest with you, this is the one that's been kind of the work in progress the most, where we've kind of reworded a few things and added some things and all that. And it might change. And I mean, I guess all this could change and someone can make their own if they wanted to. Um, we had some people that got like, I remember presenting this to a group of academics that were very upset because it wasn't, I don't know, the right kind of research or something is like, okay, well, make your own. <laughs> so like, I don't care. It's just, it's the paradigm that's more important to me than the exact things. Um, but these objectives and contexts, um, the one that throws some people is structured and unstructured play. And they're like, that's a, that's an objective. That's a context. Like absolutely. They're thinking of high school, right? And they're like, uh -huh. what do you mean play? And if you don't play, you don't learn. So you need to have an opportunity to play. And so that context sometimes is just, just play. That's it. There's no other objective at all. Um, another one that's, that gets people sometimes is um, explore physical universe. And we put that in there for people who, um, you know, make things, uh, although we do have a designing and making that we made its own thing, but, um, you know, your awareness of yourself in the world, um, including physical awareness, like, uh, that proprioception, you know, where is that thing behind me based on my kind of sensing of where it was the last time I saw it and all, all that kind of stuff. So there, there, a few of these are deeper than you might expect when you just read it at first, but we have descriptions for all of them in that framework as well. And is that something that people can find on the website? Yes, it's all on the website. And this is all kind of packed into one thing that just is called PSII assessment framework. This is right on the front of it. And then everything is described uh, on the pages following it. And you're allowed to use it and you can use it and modify it and do anything you want with it. Go ahead, um, change the whole school and do it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Okay, well, do you want to talk a little bit more about how, um, do you want to, do you want to take it off screen share and then talk a little bit about how, um, <laughs> the conversations you had at the ministry or does that sure am i taking yeah, you outside it. of the territory we're supposed to go in <laughs> uh, no i'm fine i think uh, it's fun to talk about honestly um i i have no problem with that um i think people are curious because this is a lot of work that you've gone to it took you know it's taken i think you said seven years to get that thing hammered down and yep. you know you have a very clear sense that this is the direction we need to be going in so yep. how have those conversations been 
Well, I made, I made the first version of this nine years ago all by myself. I kind of revised it about seven and a half years ago. And I've been in to see um, the ministry changes deputy ministers like every few years, especially lately. And, um, and then the people who are kind of like decision makers under them, assistant deputy ministers, things like that, they've changed, they change a lot too. Um, the government also changed once in the middle of all this. But um, it's every time we get, we do get that very polarized reception typically, which is uh, either this is phenomenal and fantastic and exactly where we should go, or this is terrifying and it'll be the ruin of the education system and almost nothing in between. But I will say that even the people who think it's really great, they don't know how to implement this at a system level. They just, they don't know what to do. And part of the problem is it is such a paradigm shift. It is not just a, a new set of outcomes in an updated curriculum. It's a completely different way of thinking about curriculum. And they're really worried about the fight that they're going to have on their hands with people who, where there's a particular subject that's near and dear to their heart or, um, I don't know, or somebody who just doesn't want anything to change or whatever it might be. Um, I always say to them that if they just knew that, um, sorry, we just got, got a visitor there, um, that uh, living school, um, that um, if they if they just knew that you could take your own, your school the way it's organized by subjects, by whatever, and you could still, you could use this framework in, in that system, no problem. So you could be, you know, a social studies 11 teacher and still hang on to all of your things that you like to do in your, you know, your runway lights, as you talked about before, and just use this as the framework for categorizing and assessing it. Nothing's changed. You're just not saying on my, on the unit on whatever, uh, you know, uh, the names of the provinces. It's like, yeah, no, you're just, you're just putting it in a different kind of container for, for assessment and probably a better one. So a lot of the work with the ministry has been translating this to sort of help them see not that scary it's not that different from what teachers want to be doing anyway it's what they actually talk about in the staff room you know it's the the frustration with the rigidity of this of, of the curriculum Recogn you know not recognizing you've got tons of leeway this one gives you the same amount of leeway but it's just a it's just a different construction I, uh, you're breaking up a little. I don't know if it's me. I don't know if it's you. I can hear oh, you. Um, that's good. You're nicely frozen right now, but we can keep. Yeah, that's good. We can keep having the conversation because I wanted to ask you. Um, within this competency framework and within the conversations you're having with the ministry, you're hearing this hesitancy around people who who may be reticent to change, for sure. Yeah. What other what other things like you were saying it's a paradigm shift so where else are you hearing pause where's the fear um i think part of the fear is that people's jobs have been built around the old structures as well so if you're you know if your job is in its description is, is based on the old paradigm um this is threatening you know this will feel threatening to you um i think even like allocating resources um how you build a timetable because if all of a sudden if people can be and this isn't necessarily saying you have to change the way you structure your school but it it kind of opens the door to that and so i think it's almost people are almost afraid of the possibilities 
um, as opposed to what's actually required of you to implement this assessment model. That's all this is, is an assessment. It doesn't have to be anything more than that. Um, I do know that anytime you try to propose something that is a big change, most people try to tell you why you cannot change, even, okay. if, they, even yeah. if they like it. As a, as a psychology, um, we'll, we'll call you a psychology expert because you're, you're deeply trained. Where does that come from, that, that uh, crabs in the bucket, right? That's the metaphor. It's like, yeah. you know, you're going to throw something down and I'm going to tell you how it's not possible. What, yeah. what is that all about? Well, you probably know this just as well as I do too, but I think um, part of it's comfort, which is just, there is a status quo. It is, you know, the devil, you know, whatever you want to call it, it works. Uh, I get up in the morning and I have a thing to go to and it seems to be fairly stable and consistent. Um, why on earth would I, <laughs> would I shake that up? Um, other people, you know, it's the, the, the saying, you know, you don't let go of the last vine until you have a hold of the next one when you're swinging through the jungle. So if you, don't have a clear picture about what this means for you, um, that's pretty hard to say I'm going to give up this very concrete, well-established thought in my mind for one that isn't completely, you know, solidified yet. That's scary. Um, some people that, love that, but. On that, really. sorry, I'm totally like too excited and I'm interrupting you. Totally. Okay. Well, I love that vine metaphor you just threw down because I won't let go of this one vine until I know that I've got a vine that I can grab onto. And when you were establishing the school, you had to let go of the vine and you had to like braid your own vine. Now the vine is there, right? And that's part of what School of Thought, the podcast is doing is sort of enriching people's understanding of how this can be done. The model is here, you know, the, the, You've created a lot of frameworks. You've made everything available to people. Um, there is enough information. There is there are all these proof points that this is this is the next vine. This is the one that's going to carry us into the 21st century. So I'm really glad you you created that metaphor. I think that's really powerful. And it's not as daunting. You know, you've kind of broken ground, uh, and and you've got peers around the world as well who are breaking ground, and so we've got a lot now in this in this space, and it's almost like the pandemic is like the bow on top. It's like okay, people, like we are ready for this change. Let's do it. Absolutely, I totally agree. Um, yeah, it's 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 really true, and I think what what you just said about like creating a vine, like we're the whole purpose of of Sai, our school was not to build an empire of little independent schools. It was, we're just trying to show you that we can walk this talk and we invite you in to, to try it out and take from it whatever you need to be able to walk it as well. So it's just a demonstration that it's possible. What's been great about it is it not only has it been possible, it's been excellent and we are growing. And I mean, we get, we get asked like every day, why don't you open another school? I was like, why don't you open a school? Like, it's really hard. Um, I'd love nothing more than to do that. But I also know that what I really would like to do is help people see how they could be doing this tomorrow if they wanted to, um, even within their existing structure. The exciting thing is that it allows you to change your structure. So the things that you might not like about your structure right now in a school where the bell rings every hour and 17 minutes, whether you like it or not, and um, you're kind of tied to that schedule and, you know, things like that, this, you can blow all that away if you want to with this, because this actually allows you to do that. So 
but again, you know, just because there's some a promise of something great out there, there are, there are people who are really reluctant to leave it. Uh, the other metaphor I often use is the, you know, the um, escape velocity, you know, to, to, to get a rocket off the surface of the planet. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of thrust because the planet has a lot of gravity. And so there could be a really great planet out there to go to, but it's really hard to get off the one you're on. And so uh, we, you know, we work at that. And I mean, maybe if we're just, we're throwing metaphors out there, the one that there's a fellow who used to be, who used to help me quite a bit, who worked with the ministry and also decided to not do that anymore. Um, uh, his name is Rod Allen and uh, look him up. Great, great person. Um, he often talks about this because I, I said this in a meeting one time and I think it kind of worked for people who were realizing why they might not be embracing this. And he said, you, you, people talk about, um, you know, getting, getting out of the box. And he said, um, you can remove the box, but some people will stay huddled on the brown grass where the box was. Um, and <laughs> so I said that in a, in a meeting and a couple of people kind of like rolled their eyes, got a lot of laughs. Um, but you, then you kind of saw people go, oh yeah, actually. <laughs> so, so what is that? That is a, that there's a, there's an adage, argue for your limitations and they're yours. If you say you can't do it, guess what? Yeah, you've done it. Yeah. You've, set, you've set yourself up. I know. It's interesting. And I can't help but apply, but take that attitude. This is the part that kind of bothers me, like on a serious note is, if that's how people think about things, and then I think they're teaching kids. This is the system that teaches kids. So you've talked one time about how there are people, you know, you have to have expectations for, you know, for, for kids, you have to have high expectations or reasonable ones. Um, I know a lot of people who have very high standards and low expectations and they take that into the school with them and no one can ever measure up to their standards. Um, But it's okay because they have really low expectations. Um, I feel like education sometimes gets uh, looked down upon by a lot of other disciplines in the world or not disciplines, but like industries or professions or whatever. And I kind of, I know why, like I, I, I look at our reluctance to, you know, embrace modern change and things that we know would be better um, when other other things do it all the time you know healthcare That's they right. change constantly and we do not and 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 part of that is uh well there are so many contributing factors part of it is that it as a large institution it's a it's a slow ship to steer yeah. um but like you say there is also there is a bit of, um, I'm just gonna grab the term that makes the most sense, it's ego. It's not the, I'm conceited ego, it's the the ego of, you know, this is what matters to me and this is what I think everybody needs to to sort of believe and know and understand. And yeah, like you are saying, the world is changing by the millisecond, right? By the nanosecond. And yet education still is this, ponderous uh thing that is you know it's really really not actually doing a good job of bringing new humans into the space where they need to have all these new tools to deal with this world and all the other changing industries and professions like it's just almost absurd how education is still locked in onto that brown patch of grass absolutely true i wanted to um close with one question 
what 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 do people need to get started? Is it a, a, an administrator who's keen and like four or six teachers who are like, I'm ready? What do you, what is, what is that little critical mass? Well, depending on what, like you could start this right now in your own classroom in exactly the way it's like, if you're a teacher and you're in a classroom, you can start this right now. You could use this as the way you assess English nine or math seven or whatever. You could use this right now easily. Um, but if you want to kind of start to go big and start to look at all the, the structures that could make this, you know, really fully implemented. Um, yeah, I think it would be good to have a, a, a team of teachers who kind of get it. A small group of teachers is good. Um, the last thing administrators want to do is try to shove something down everybody's throat. <laughs> and so if they knew that there were a group of teachers that want to do it, they're, they're more likely to want to. But I do also think you need an administrator because they need to think about things like, room allocation, resources, scheduling, um, job, like who's doing what job, what does the complement of staff need to look like? How, you know, how do we work with our kids? And then probably that, you know, if you're in a school district, then the district level, they're, they're responsible for some of those same things as well. So, you know, your governance people need to understand what this is, um, why it's good, um, and also things like resourcing and all of that. So, yeah, I think it's good to go with a little bit of a vertical team if you can. Um, but honestly start anywhere and maybe your vertical team comes later. You, you start small, you do it in your classroom, you talk to a teacher, another teacher about it and they do it. And then there's maybe three or four of you. And then you talk to your principal, you know, you can, you can do it like that as well. Tracking back to our conversation in the last episode about agency. This is an opportunity for people to, be choiceful and to recognize how much power each of us has to uh, to drive change in the right direction. Absolutely. Yep. And I, I think teachers are capable of it. I think that many people who enter education, though, do so thinking that they don't actually have the ability to change that system. They, right. they, they're just going to be in the system. They can change little things inside it and they can help people. But the system is like untouchable. So I think if you could just realize like people created the system, yep. you're a person, you can change it <laughs> very easily actually. So yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, Jeff, thank you for your time today. People can get more info uh, and the framework at www.learningstorm.org. Thank you everybody for listening to School of Thought and we'll have more for you around the corner. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks.